Growing Up Baby with Haley Zimak. Sarah Petrick never thought she'd have an issue feeding her newborn babies. She gave birth to twin boys Ethan and Maxwell this past April, despite her June due date. The boys were kept in the neonatal intensive care unit. Because of their fragile medical status, they were able to access donor milk through the Rogers-Hickson Ontario Human Milk Bank. It's a service Sarah never thought she'd need, but one she was grateful to have. So obviously we uh, were getting ready to welcome our babies, um, but, uh, you know, not expecting them then. Uh, We knew we were having obviously twins that could be earlier, but definitely not expecting them at uh, 28 weeks. Um, I, you know, was feeling great, kind of had no signs of um, anything to suggest that I would go into labor early, but I just woke up one morning and my water had broken. Um, So we rushed over to Mount Sinai um, and uh, they were able to buy me a little bit of time, but only a couple days. Um, So I delivered them at 28 weeks and three days um, on Wednesday of that, uh, that week. Um, so Ethan was our very little guy and he was only 880 grams. Um, and his brother was 1320 grams. So also still very little. Um, and so, um, obviously needing uh, quite a bit of support, quite fragile. So, uh, we're admitted to the NICU at Mount Sinai. And, uh, that's where I became aware of the milk bank, um, and that service, um, that is, uh, offered obviously a very scary, emotional and overwhelming time. And, um, me not being able to provide milk for them, um, right away. And, you know, the, the amount that they needed, um, uh, just, you know, knowing that there was, um, a service there to be able to uh, ensure that they got what they needed, you know, super great. Oh, absolutely. Now, how did you become aware of it? Is this something you knew this service was provided before you went in, or is it something you learned about, you know, in the delivery room, basically those, those early days right after? Yeah. And I, we did do uh, prenatal classes through Mount Sinai. So I was like, I, maybe they, maybe she had mentioned it at that time, but, you know, just kind of not expecting, you know, like, oh, that's nice for somebody who's going to need to use it, but not expecting that it would be us that would need to. Um, so I don't know if I, you know, really was aware before, but uh, definitely once they were born and we had gone up to visit them in the NICU, um, there was talk about um, us being able to access the milk bank um, and obviously looking for our consent to do that. So that's kind of where I became aware of it, um, and aware, um, of just, you know, what that would mean for the boys and them being able to, uh, have breast milk, uh, right from the start. Okay. And did you need to use the supplementary milk because you, you know, your own body wasn't quite, uh, ready to produce milk because they were so early? Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, you know, obviously your body also is under kind of a lot of stress, um, which I don't think helps with that, uh, with that either. And obviously having two babies, um, you know, just needing double the milk. So, um, for me, it was, I I was pumping and doing all of those things. Um, so definitely able, they were able to, you know, have milk from me as well, but, um, you know, using the milk bank to supplement for sure. Yeah. Amazing. Um, what Mm. does it mean to you to be able to, to have a service like that? Because, you know, the more I've been doing this podcast and I have my own little guy who's almost a year now, but Mm -hmm. you really realize that just, Oh, go ahead and just start breastfeeding. Well, it's not as easy as it's portrayed to be, you know, a lot of people can't for a variety of reasons. So as you said, you know, Oh, that's nice for someone else, but (laughs) for you specifically, what did that mean for you that you were able to feed these brand new baby boys? Yeah, I think, you know, you just, uh, 
I think for anybody, you know, you, you get pregnant and you have this like rainbow and butterfly image of like how everything's going to go. And I always say, you know, it's that Instagram moment where, you know, you have the picture and everything's perfect and great, but it, it isn't always, it isn't always like that. And, uh, for us, obviously, like I've said, you know, it's like so scary and, you know, you're worrying about a thousand things and your baby's like, you know, really not well, they're so tiny. Um, and so, you know, for me, having my baby's breastfed was just super important to me. Um, and so being able to access the milk bank and taking, you know, some of that stress off myself, knowing that, you know, I, you know, I'm still going to try and, you know, get my own milk supply up, um, you know, where some people aren't even able to do that. Um, but I, you know, was able and pumping and doing those things, but, you know, just having that supplement there. So I knew at the end of the day that my babies were both being fed fed breast milk. Um, and just, you know, the fact that they were so early and so tiny and, um, just, uh, so fragile, um, and just the importance of having breast milk, um, and being able to access a bank that made sure that they did just, you know, so important. And, you know, the people that, you know, donate just so special because I know, you know, how much work it is just to, you know, pump and feed and do that for your own babies, but people who, you know, take that time to provide that for people who, um, you know, need that supplement, uh, supplemental milk, or even, you know, just aren't able themselves. Like it's just, it, it's amazing really. Mm. Well, I can say from experience because I donated to the milk bank and it was something I was happy to do. You know, when I discovered that this existed, I thought, wow, how cool I have extra, you know, let's, let's yeah. let it go to someone who really needs it. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, truly amazing. And I know one of our little guys, Ethan, that spent some time at sick kids. Um, and so, you know, they were both of them were in the NICU for quite some time. Um, and so, you know, obviously the whole experience, you know, very overwhelming and very scary, but even when he went over to sick kids, we were still able to access the milk bank. So, um, it, you know, that was just one thing that, you know, really kind of took some stress off me just knowing, you know, as much as again, that, you know, I was pumping and doing that work, um, to try and feed them myself. I, I just knew, you know, where I, you know, you know, maybe couldn't get up to the, the amounts that they needed that, um, there was that supplemental, um, milk, you know, at Sinai, at sick kids. Um, so, you know, just so great. Mm -hmm. And you said they're about six months old now, right? So how are Ethan and Maxwell doing? What's your situation now? Yeah. So we're home. We're all home now, finally. Um, so Max came home June 30th. Um, and then Ethan's just been home a couple of weeks. He just came home on August 7th. Um, so, you know, just so it's crazy, um, but so happy to have them both home with us. Um, and I am, I am breastfeeding, uh, as much as I can, uh, with both of them. Um, and I am still needing to do some supplemental, um, feeding for them. So I am using formula. Sarah, is there anything else that you'd like to share with people that, you know, you think is interesting for us to know about your experience? Just really didn't want to stress kind of, you know, how thankful and grateful I am that I was able to access, um, the milk bank for my boys. And, you know, for me, it was really important, um, personally that they were able to have breast milk, especially, you know, being so early and so fragile. Um, and, uh, you know, just knowing that, that like how important that is, um, and just being worried about so many things and wanting, you know, to make sure that, you know, it was breast milk and all of that. Um, and so, you know, again, as I mentioned, you know, doing the pumping and being able to feed them on my own, but where I couldn't kind of keep up with that, um, the milking was able to, uh, ensure that I could, and that my babies were breastfed, uh, or given breast milk. Um, so yeah, just, uh, just really so amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, as you know, previously as well, it's, you know, something you're like, oh, that's great. That's a great idea. You know, not realizing it would be, ever be something that I would need to access. Um, and so, 
um, just being in that position, um, just realizing really truly how special um, a, a service and support that that, that is. Mm-hmm, definitely. And if I can ask, why was it so important for you that they had breast milk specifically over, let's say, formula? Yeah, I think for me, um, I always kind of said to myself, you know, thinking they would be kind of like full-term babies is that, you know, as much as I could, I wanted to be able to breastfeed them, uh, you know, from a bonding experience um, and just, uh, you know, antibodies and all of those things that I'm able to kind of give them. Um, And so that was just really important to me. Um, And then even more so when they were so early and just like the benefits of breast milk um, in terms of, um, you know, such fragile babies um, and just the benefits that breast milk can provide over formula. Um, And so just, you know, how important that would be in those really early days when they were so tiny. Mm, Okay. How did you get through those, those really early days? What were you feeling? What were you going through? Yeah. I feel like in a way it's almost like your body protects you. So it's, I feel like it was very out of body. I think both my husband and I felt that way um, where it's, it's like, you know, they're your babies, but it's, it's, I don't know. it, It just felt like kind of, yeah, like out of body where I, it, it wasn't real or something like that. Um, I think it to kind of protect you. Um, cause when we look back at pictures now or kind of, you know, think back to that time, we're just, you know, like how fragile, like they were, um, and our, uh, Max, who was the bigger baby, uh, was really having trouble the first night after he was born, um, with a collapsed lung. Um, so had to have a chest tube, uh, intubated. Um, and so, you know, at the time, you know, knowing all these things are very serious, but just like not really grasping it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been a, it was a very long haul for us. Also it being COVID. So not really being able to kind of bring people in to, you know, our families and friends. So like they kind of became those stand in for us. And so, yeah, it was a a very wild ride. So we're definitely uh, glad to be home. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of it, off, off the ride now, right? Off the ride, on a different ride. (laughs) On a different ride. Exactly. (laughs) Debbie Stone is the director of the Milk Bank. She began this passion project over two decades ago, 22 years to be exact. She noticed a need and took action. I was an NICU nurse at the Hospital for Sick Children uh, and had had two of my own babies who I had breastfed. And what struck me about the mothers that I dealt with every day was the sadness when they were unable to provide really the only thing they could to help a very sick intensive care baby and that was their milk. So it started me on a journey of educating uh, not only the NICU staff, but eventually the entire hospital about breastfeeding and support for mothers of hospitalized babies. And for those mothers who truly could not produce breast milk, also then gave me the opportunity to seek education about donor milk. So 2000 was the first year that I attended a milk banking conference in British Columbia and came back supercharged about the possibilities of gathering groups of people and colleagues together to get really excited about the possibility of bringing a milk bank to Toronto. Okay, that's amazing. So What was the response then? Because you've just celebrated, or I don't want to say just, but I saw on your website, you've reached the incredible milestone of 1 million ounces of donated milk. So how did we get to this point then? 
Well, I was able to gather a group of colleagues together um, in a tri-hospital, Sunnybrook Sick Kids Mount Sinai kind of interest group. And we all put our heads together about what would be needed to bring such an initiative that was so totally new to the city of Toronto. And in 2006, our first presentations were ready to provide to Toronto Public Health, the hospitals themselves. And of course, at that point, looking for how would we finance this, where would it be cited, et cetera, et cetera. So in saying that, um, that group of individuals, uh, that progressed over a period of six years until we were uh, cited at Mount Sinai Hospital as part of their rebuilding. And in April of 2013, we were able to open the Rogers Hickson Ontario Human Milk Bank here at Mount Sinai Hospital. Amazing. Let's talk about who benefits from these milk donations. Well, we started out, and again, not knowing what the response would be from donor mothers, and it was a strictly a supply-demand type situation, we started off with those at highest risk, and that was a group we decided to be the less than 1,250-gram infants, or less than about 28 weeks gestation, who were at the most risk of the abdominal infection disease called necrotizing enterocolitis, um, which can have very horrible consequences for uh, a sick preterm baby. So we took that first group as our eligible group to receive donor milk. And then as we were able to ramp up production uh, year after year, uh, the Donors just kept coming in the door, kept applying, and the milk supply kept growing so that we could continue to increase the eligibility uh, to what is now essentially open to any hospitalized sick or preterm baby. Let's talk a little bit about how it works. What's the process? What's the screening like? Who's eligible to donate milk? Okay. Well, we've tried to make it as simple a process as we possibly can, meeting all of the guidelines and standards that we do meet um, by being a member of HIMBANA, which is the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, which in 1985 set standards for human milk banking. On our website, so we ask any interested donors to go to the website, www.milkbankontario.ca, And on there, there's four easy steps. One is assessing your own eligibility. Now, again, some chronic illnesses or routine medications can make a donor ineligible. So we then have, uh, once they've done a general uh, health screening questions on that website, they watch a five minute how to donate video. If they still feel they would like to go forward to speak to one of the RN lactation consultants at the milk bank, they fill out a contact form online, hit the submit button, and it comes right through to the milk bank. Step two for us is that generally within a week, the milk bank staff, the registered nurse lactation consultant will connect with the donor by phone and complete a comprehensive medical and lifestyle screening form, uh, or provide at that time assistance with milk production or answer any questions that are required. There are consent forms for the donor and her healthcare provider, which can be her midwife, a doctor and nurse practitioner to sign attesting to the donor's health if she decides to go forward. And then after all those forms are returned to the milk bank, we send special blood work forms to the donor that are done at her nearest life lab location anywhere in Ontario to have the mandatory blood test drawn uh, for the milk bank. 
Once the paperwork and the blood work are completed, the chart is reviewed by the Milk Bank Medical Director for approval to donate. And then we contact the donor again about how to ship that precious commodity into the milk bank. Is this something that people do you find are aware of? Because we heard from Sarah earlier, who's the mom of twins and they were premature and she utilized the milk bank. And she said, you know, in our prenatal classes, we kind of heard about this, but you think it's not going to happen to me. Well, and then it happens to you. Mm -hmm. Do you find this is something that people are aware of both as a new mom who might have to utilize the service, but as someone who has an abundance of supply and who's able to donate? That's a little bit of a difficult question to answer. I think we repeatedly did hear that people were not aware in the early days of the milk bank. So we actually brought on a person to do our social media, where we do try to do some type of posting at least once a week. Um, And we like to avail ourselves of podcasts, mummy blogs, uh, local pediatricians to help us spread the word about milk donation or the possibility of milk donation. One of the major concerns that we had as a rapidly growing um, business, I guess you could call it in a way, uh, was that we needed again to balance the incoming milk with the outgoing demand. So our freezers at some points prior to COVID were absolutely full and bursting at the seams such that we had to delay donors. Because milk, we have to have it in at a certain time frame. Uh, It becomes a balancing act of how much we really want to promote people calling in to donate versus how much milk is being pasteurized and ready to go out to the 46 hospitals that we now serve in Ontario. Wow. So it's on one hand, a a good problem to have, but the logistics of that must just be, as you say, a balancing act. It It is a balancing act, most definitely. We did have a circumstance uh, several years ago where it w- there was a press release put out about the need for donor milk, and we received 800 donor applications. And at that point, with three staff members, it took us seven, six or seven weeks to actually even get a phone call back to all of these willing donors. So... I looked at that as being a little bit detrimental to um, it was kind of a negative more than a positive because we felt so badly that we just couldn't and people were wondering why they weren't being contacted. Mm, okay. So. so after someone donates, you know, they pack it up, it, 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 that's a precious commodity, someone picks it up and, and where do they take it and, and what do you do with it? Once the donor milk has been delivered back to the milk bank from the donor's home, and that can be on a overnight delivery or from our same day courier, every single bag of the milk is inspected for dates, pump dates, which are very important to our process. And then the milk is all received and logged electronically into the milk bank. We create from all of the donor what we call deposits or every box of milk that comes in. We create what we call a recipe, which is the blending of four to five different donor milks. And we do that specifically to look at nutritional variabilities between the different moms, the age of the milk she might be sending in or the age of her baby that she's pumping for. We do accept milk up to a baby that's 18 months of age. So we take this recipe and we try to blend it to approximate 
about a birth to six month old baby where the best growth trajectory is as we try to balance the important macronutrients of protein and fat for growth. Once we have this recipe created, that becomes the pool of milk that is now going to be pasteurized which goes into our fully automated pasteurizers. It is bottled. We can do 144 bottles at a time. And we are now doing two of those runs a day. So 288 bottles of milk can be prepared in a day. And that's a four ounce bottle. Okay. And is there a minimum uh, number of ounces that a donor can donate at a time? Yes, related to our shipping and making sure that the milk arrives at the milk bank fully frozen, we ask that there's a minimum donation of about five liters of milk to go in our thermal boxes. This ensures that even with an overnight shipment, that the milk will arrive to us in its frozen state. Okay. Now you've mentioned that you've had an influx of donors. Have you ever come up short? And if that's the case, how did you respond to that? Very fortunately, right from day one at the milk bank, we have never been unable to fill a bulk order to a hospital. There, Early on, there were some occasions where we had to provide only half of the quantity that they might have wanted, but within the first year or two, that was resolved, and since that point, we have never been short of milk. My rule of thumb is that we produce to make sure we have a minimum of one month supply of milk always in our freezers in the event that there was any uh, equipment failure, something catastrophic happened that needed to be be repaired, that we would always have a four-month supply of what the current provincial needs are from the milk bank. I think it's so amazing that you started this because you were there, you were in these hospitals, you were on the ground, you were seeing that there was a need that needed to be met. Um, Being so close to it, Debbie, what have you heard from recipients and and what do you continue to hear from recipients? Well, it's, it's absolutely wonderful to hear the comments that we do receive uh, both from the donors and the recipients of the donor milk. They are so grateful, I think is the best word to use. Um, The staff will tell us that they talk to moms whose babies have received donor milk and the mothers, the anxiety and the pressure on them to try to produce a significant amount of milk or sufficient amount of milk for their babies is a huge weight on their shoulders. And since donor milk has become available, it really alleviates a lot of that anxiety for these parents, knowing that their baby is getting what we would consider the best possible nutrition and immunology. Mm -hmm. Donors, we are now seeing that many of our donors were donor milk recipients themselves. And on a subsequent pregnancy, when breastfeeding has possibly been more successful or it hasn't been an emergency preterm delivery, these mothers are now giving back to the milk bank. And we receive just the most wonderful letters thanking us for what we're doing and that they were so grateful to have the donor milk for a previous pregnancy. And how do you feel about it all making such a difference? Well, as I said, this has been my my dream job, this was a, a swan song career move for me to really make a difference to these families. Um, after working in intensive care, neonatal intensive care for my entire life and being surrounded by these, you know, critically ill infants um, and such wonderful families that are, you know, devastated by the separation and 
um, just the whole hospital experience is is pretty tough on these families. So I am absolutely delighted to have been a part of making a difference for them. What's next for you as we head into 2023? Is there are there plans to expand into more hospitals? Perhaps take this countrywide? Put out another call, if you can say. <laughs> There are only four hospitals in Ontario that we are currently not servicing, um, and that represents a very few number of NICU beds. So certainly we would like to get them on board to complete every hospital. But I think, it, again, reaching out of Ontario, we do currently service uh, Janeway, Newfoundland, who has a small intensive care unit, neonatal intensive care unit in Newfoundland. And we are possibly expanding to the maritime provinces to look after their um, Halifax IWK NICU as well. Beyond that, I think our eligibility criteria, as I say, is right now hospitalized babies. We would truly love to have the facility. So I think we're talking about a larger milk banking space going into the future that we could support some community moms and babies as well. I do get heart rendering letters once or twice a month from mothers who have either had um, serious illnesses, they may have had mastectomies, that they are unable to breastfeed but dearly wanted this for their babies. Uh, We have same-sex couples now um, that again would just they feel they want to do the very best for their term infants. So they would like to be able to, um, you know, benefit from some donor milk as well. So I think there's a wide range of potential eligibilities out there. If we can work out the logistics of how that would all work um, and be able to produce enough to meet those needs. Aside from milk donation, it's really important just to maybe help spread the word uh, for people that are unaware of milk donation that you can, you know, let people that have had a pregnancy, have had babies, uh, be aware that we do exist. Um, There's also the financial donation part of the milk bank, again, available on our website. And also a word to bereaved moms, to let bereaved moms know that we very much support their journey um, and their grief in the loss of their baby, but that their body is going to produce milk and that we would be delighted to assist them in that journey if they felt that they somehow it would benefit them to provide milk to assist other babies. Is that something that happens? It does. Absolutely, it does. Um, there's a small percentage of our of our moms. Uh, in fact, this week we had four bereaved moms. Um, and again, we're happy as lactation consultants, we can counsel them through how to continue their milk supply. And we've had some beautiful letters from moms who really felt that as part of their grief, the giving back to help other babies in memory of their lost child um, was just very, very important to them. Thank you for listening. The information, opinions, and recommendations in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. The information is not intended to replace or serve as a substitute for professional advice, consultation, or service. Until next time.